Hi, and welcome to the Drawn Today podcast. We encourage you to draw every day. In this episode, part one of our two-part 2013 LXCon recap, Mark Sheff talks to Patrick Wilshire about the recent LXCon convention. Afterwards, we have some casual conversations and interviews with some of the exhibiting artists at LXCon. We hope you find these conversations entertaining and insightful, and inspire you to go to LXCon next year. here today, or I'm here today with uh, Patrick Wilshire, uh, one of the founders of, of uh, Eluxcon. How you doing, Patrick? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Still, still kind of coughing and hacking periodically in the uh, post-con crud, so you know, if you, you need to, may, may need to edit the odd uh, explosion out, but other than that, I'm in pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people came back feeling like they got the, uh, what do they call it, the con sickness or something. There's just... There's a lot of um, there's a lot of socializing that goes on in, in addition to all the all the business and everything else. So I'd love to love to talk to you a little bit about that and um, just about some of the history and future of our LuxCon because I know people it's 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 had quite a, a bit of both. Um, but mm-hmm. just just to start for those who don't know, what tell us you know what is a LuxCon? What's your what is your, what was your vision? What is it? Uh, well, LuxCon is designed to be the premier event for the appreciation and for the, the expansion of interest in traditionally created uh, imaginative realist painting. And so the, the whole structure of the show is kind of built around that, and then it sort of expands out from there. Um, you know, obviously we do have elements of the show that do include digital work and, and so on and so forth, but, but the main structure of the show is intended to allow the artists who create it students who are learning about it, um, collectors who collect it, uh, all to get together in a, a very intimate environment um, and, and just share um, and, and be inspired and appreciate the work as much as possible. And so that's you know, why the show now takes place in a museum. Um, right. you know, and uh, so a lot, almost all of the decisions about the show kind of come from that sort of tripartite perspective uh, because for the show to work it needs to be equally fun and equally enjoyable and equally valuable for all of those groups so so it's not just for because I know there are a lot of collectors who come through and pick, there up, are. pick up a lot of work um, but w- was that the original idea because I know that you've been a collector for a while and you and you run um, you run a you know a website uh, designed to help people collect that kind of stuff um, that kind of art is that was that was that the impetus initially, and did it kind of grow from there, or, or how did it start? Uh, no, it was it had the the kind of the the, the triple division from the very beginning. Um, we knew that students and young artists would be a really important part of the equation, right from the very beginning, um, and so the show was always planned and structured with that in mind. And uh, you know, we we do every year we get more and more and more collectors um, into the show. But realistically speaking, you know, they don't actually make up probably a numerical majority um, of the people that come to the show and never have. Um, Interesting. And, uh, you know, there there are more students and young artists 
and 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 fans who less fans, more students, young artists, some fans. Um, you know, there are probably more of those people as a group than there are the hardcore collectors. Um, but what we also are starting to see more and more of are people who are fans or students or young artists um, who have, in fact, started buying art. Um, and it may be yes, one piece, it may be small pieces, it may be, you know, you certainly know all about that. I know a little bit about it this year, yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so there, there's, more, there's becoming more and more crossover um, where, you know, we have a lot of people, more and more people at the show who are, are both, uh, or in some cases are all three. Right. Well, I can um, say, I mean, anybody, you know, as, as an artist, as an art director, as a, as a fan and a creator, I, I, I know that, you know, the reason that most of us got into this field is because, you know, we love, we love the work, we love the genre. So I don't think there's a, there's a participant who can honestly say they wouldn't love to own, you know, pieces of original or even, you know, prints of, of people's work, because, you know, we, we are at the heart, you know, we are fans. Absolutely. So, so you know, that, that brings me to, you know, what, um, if, if, it's, if it's this sort of triumvirate of purposes, you've got your collectors, you've got your traditional, or, you know, as I sort of think of, like, original artists, people who are working in a physical medium and not mm -hmm. digital, and then you've got the, the digital artists and the students, you know, what's, what, what to you, what, do you guys have a metric for success? What does a successful conference look like? Is it about money? Is it, a, like, what, what is it, what does it boil down to for you guys? Um, well, again, it, it's, because it's triumvirate, it's actually got kind of multiple hallmarks. Um, <clears throat> you know, first of all, obviously, everybody has to have fun. Uh, everybody okay. has to enjoy the show. They have to enjoy themselves. You know, we, you know, grumpy faces are a problem. Um, you know, we do you have do you have many of those? Do, like, what no. do you do? What do you do when you have a grumpy face? Do you like we, we actually, we take them outside don't. or? You know, we actually <laughs> don't. Um, I mean, they're, they're really. I mean, generally, you have people with these really stupid grins on their faces pretty much for the entire time. Uh, know. Um, you know, know you us mean. included. Um, you know, but but that would is a key factor. People have to have fun. If we were to see grumpy people, that would be a problem. <laughs> um, that would indicate an issue. That would indicate something wasn't working right. Something wasn't correct. Um, so that's one thing that, that has to be. Everybody has to have fun. Um, second of all, you know, the artists who are exhibiting do, in fact, unfortunately, have to eat um, and, and pay rent and all of those things. And it costs money to come to a show. Uh, it costs them both money to attend the show and it costs them time uh, away from their studio and, and away from, from work and away from their families. Right. Uh, and so they also have to make money. Right. And so that's a second portion that's very important for the show are the sales. Um, just because if the sales are not strong, then it becomes harder for those artists to attend the show year after year. Absolutely. When, you know, when an artist knows, as you know, most of the LXCon people do, hey, I can go to the show and I will at least break even. Um, you know, some years I may make a lot, some years a little, thing, but I'm really not going to lose any noticeable amount of money the vast majority of the time that I attend the show. It makes it much easier for them to be able to come every year. Uh, and that's especially true for the artists who are coming regularly from overseas. That's right, yeah. Where they're spending, you know, a lot more money to come to the show, um, you know, than, than artists in the States. And so, again, you know, you know, there's a limit to how many thousands of dollars, you know, an artist can afford to eat. Right, right. No matter how much they might love the show, no matter how much fun they might have, no matter how inspiring it is, there's a limit to how much money they can afford to lose. 
well, or, or spend on that fun and inspiration. I, exactly. Do you, do you guys? No, I don't. I, you know, I'm, I haven't shown in the traditional showcase. Do you guys take a commission from from sales? We do not. Um, we charge table fees, right. um, but we do not, in fact, take a commission on any sales. Uh, there are a couple reasons for that. One, artists really hate commissions. <laughs> um, they true, despise true. commissions. Um, and two, there are just logistical issues. Um, you know, more and more and more. Well, not let me, but but every year the number of commissions taken at the show goes up, um, which is great because that increases the amount of money that artists are making out of the show. Um, but for example, it would be incredibly difficult to work out a commission on a commission when no money might change hands for six or eight or nine months. Right. Um, you know, and so we, it, it just keeps the whole process much simpler, um, not to mention the fact that then when I go around after the show and I ask each artist, you know, how they did at the show so we can track our figures, they don't lie to me. <laughs> you know, right, you actually, you actually know what got sold at the <laughs> show, whether know. or not that money exchanged hands. Yes, I, I know the amounts. I don't, I don't keep track of each individual piece or, or anything like that. Um, but we do track what each artist did just for the purposes of being able for us to look at the show and make sure, is the show doing its job? Um, you know, for example, this year, because we added in the weekend salon, we added 30 more artists. So, yes, this year, you know, last year and the previous years, as far as I understand, or at least, you know, the first year there was the show. Right. And, and there was a bunch of people who started sort of showing off their stuff and trading it in the hallways of the hotel. So the second year, you sort of gave them a room, you know, in the in the in the bar in the hotel. And the year after that, they got their own room. And now, you know, two years later, uh, there's a whole there's a whole two nights of of a of a for real showcase where people are showing not only original stuff but digital stuff and selling other things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It, it just seems like things are... Do you think things can possibly grow beyond this? Well, I mean, we're, we're limited in terms of growth um, by a couple of factors. Um, one, because of the importance of sales for the exhibiting artists, um, and that's the, the main show and the salon artists. Um, the show can't grow beyond the sales for starters. Um, you know, and that was one thing, for example, we were watching this year because we did, in fact, in, you know, in the previous years, we've just had the main show, which was roughly 54 artists, 52 artists. Okay, and how many were in the main show this year? This year, there were 52 in the main show, but then there were an additional 30 in the weekend salon. Which were, which was a whole separate which, group which of was traditional a whole, a whole new paintings. thing, still all traditional, still in the museum, um, but those artists were only exhibiting Saturday and Sunday. And they did uh, which pretty was, well, as far as I understand. I, mean, and I saw they a lot of, lot of sales going on down there. They did, they did. <clears throat> but one thing that we wanted to be sure of, for example, we, when we tried the salon this year, was to make sure that we didn't just end up splitting the same sales revenue over 60% more artists. Right, um, so, you, so you don't want to grow, you don't want to get too big because it'll reduce the sales for the sort of top artists and then they won't show up and then what's the point? Well, it's not that it, it, it'll reduce sales for everybody. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, I mean, we, 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 you know, we have a range where we like to keep the average per artist sales. You know, total sales divided by total number of artists gives you an average sales per artist. Um, and we have a range where we like that to be. And we like that to go up every year. 
And so one concern that we had was, you know, well, with adding all these additional artists in, you know, was that going to have a negative impact on, you know, those sales and on the average sales across the board for the artists? It didn't, um, but that was a concern. And so that's one limiting factor. The second limiting factor is purely one of space. Um, oh, you know, sure. You know, I mean, you know, we are, you know, IllixCon deliberately does not take place in a convention center um, or convention hall or 40,000 square foot ballroom thing. We deliberately don't do that. Yeah, well, I'll say, you know, as a participant, I, I, I do appreciate that. I mean, you know, when I first came to Aluxcon, and this was, I don't know, four or five years ago, this is this was the fifth year, right? Uh, this was the sixth year. The sixth year. Okay, I missed the fifth year for a wedding in Mexico. You can cry for me later. Um, but but uh, I remember, I think I came five years ago, and, and I didn't know anything really about this world, this illustration world, so I was, I was a real newcomer, and the thing that I really felt which I, I continue to feel year after year at Aluxcon and you know places like the Illustration Masterclass and these sort of connected communities is the is just that everyone's just so so warm and, and welcoming. Nobody nobody's really looking over their shoulder. Everybody's you know everybody's looking to help everybody do well, uh, which I haven't really experienced in a lot of other art communities. I, th- I feel I, you know I don't want to say it's unique. I don't want to say it doesn't exist anywhere else, but it's definitely the place where I've felt it the strongest, and it's why I continue to stay here even as my art evolves you know, outside the genre. So uh, there's no question there. Just, you know, kudos to you. Um, but it, but I do want to ask, you know, now that we're on the topic of Allentown, you know, this was the first year that the conference was in Allentown. So, you know, previously it was in Altoona, I believe, where you live. So wh- right. why, why the, what, what was the impetus for the move? Well, the, the reason we, we made the move uh, was, you know, twofold. You know, one, part of the, the goal of the show is to expand... The, the reach of the field into people who are not science fiction and fantasy fans, but who are art fans. Um, and when you're in Altoona, which is basically in the middle of nowhere, um, it's, it's much harder to draw the casual, curious observer to, to the show because, you know, if they live in Philly or New York or New York, you know, it's like a four or five hour drive. It's a long drive, and your it's car will drive. break down. Yes, uh, or at least mine did twice. Yes, and, and so it, it's it's <laughs> much more of a problem. Whereas Allentown is an hour from Philadelphia. It's an hour and a half from Manhattan. Um, you know, it's actually about two and a half hours from Baltimore. Um, plus, it's you know obviously within easy reach of of pretty much all of New Jersey. Um, and it's much closer, even up in, you know, for the, the people and artists coming from New England, it's much closer. So it's a much more convenient location, geographically speaking. And then second of all, you know, we had the opportunity, I mean, when the show was in Altoona, we held it at the Heritage Center here, which was a beautiful facility. Uh, big, you know, columns and sweeping staircases and a beautiful mezzanine. And it was, it was very, very nice. Yeah, it was. Um, we were very happy with it. But it's not an art museum. Um, and, you know, we had the opportunity to move the show to an actual art museum. Now, how did that come about? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? Um, well, actually, we, we did, uh, we curated an exhibition for them. I remember. Um, called At the Edge, uh, which was the largest and most comprehensive exhibition of traditional imaginative realist painting ever mounted. Um, and it was a blockbuster for them. Uh, they drew about 30,000 people wow. to the show. 
which is a lot for a, a regional museum. Now, is that just Boris and Julie going 15,000 times, or did <laughs> yes. actually a lot of people go? <laughs> actually, a lot of people went. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, the, the museum actually kind of kept a running tab on the, the most extreme stories that they heard uh, from anybody getting there, because normally the museum doesn't really draw a lot from outside of the Lehigh Valley, sure, which yeah. is like Eastern PA. That's, that's, their, that's their, their member base. And, uh, you know, they had, I think the top story was that someone told them that they had driven 10 hours to Allentown, slept in their car in a Walmart parking lot, got up the next morning, went to the museum, saw the show, and drove 10 hours back home again. Wow, I mean, I like art a lot. I, that might that might be past my limit. Um, I, it would be past my limit too. We attempted to find out who that person was to give them free tickets to Ilixcon, oh. <laughs> uh, but we could never find out who they were. Um, but there were a lot of people that came to the show from you know as far away as you know Seattle and California and and all you know all over, and and so it, it really made an impact on the museum. Um, and, and the response to the show was fabulous. Uh, they, they'd expected to draw kind of a new crowd with this show, you know, people that don't normally go to the museum, which, of course, they did. Um, but what they didn't expect was that their regular museum attendees, uh, as we like to talk about the kind of the prototypical little old lady in pearls, right, right. Um, loved the show. Um, I mean, raved about the show, you know, raved to us about the show, raved to the museum about the show, um, and just really, really enjoyed it and found it really inspiring and really, you know, and the museum should do more of this. There should be more of this kind of stuff. This is so inspiring. It's so, you know, um, and so we had actually, were having a discussion with the director of the museum at the time, Brooks Joyner, um, and we had, we were, we were talking about, you know, Allentown's next steps to become the true world mecca of imaginative <laughs> realist painting. And we said, of course, step two would be to move Elixcon to the museum um, every year. And he said, oh, that's a fabulous idea. Let's do that. And so we then set about the extremely lengthy process. Yeah. How long um, did it take? We spent about two and a half years planning the move. Um, to, so remember you announced it in, what, well, it was 2011. We announced it in 2011. Yeah, and we started working on it about six months or so, eight months before we announced it, um, to make sure that it would work. Right. You know that that it was just logistically feasible to do the show in Allentown. Um, and uh, you know, once we concluded that okay, yeah, this 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 seems like it should work, um, we then went forward with all the endless amounts of planning. Including a new website, as I, Including as I, a new as website. I recall. <laughs> yes, yes, the new website, uh, which we're so much happier with than the old website, which we hated uh, with passion, and everybody else hated it with a passion. I, so. I think it was universal hate. I, yes, think it was, the, I think the website was from the dark side, but um, I, was yes. pleased, I was pleased to hear, and humbly so, that, that people were very, very happy with, with the new site and had a much easier time kind of getting around and getting they information. Did. They, they did. We, we got a lot fewer questions. Um, about things leading up to the show this year. Oh, yeah. Um, even with everything being new, uh, we had a lot fewer questions, which tells us that people were actually able to find information much more readily. Um. <laughs> well, that's great. You know, and, and you know, uh, disclosure, I, I, I built the website for these guys. <laughs> but, but you know, the thing that I, that I tell people is, um, you know, you guys came to me and said, because I, I, I had walked up to you, I didn't know who you were, it was like my first AluxCon, and I was like, hey, you know, your website, um, you want me to help? And, I, and it wasn't really 
maybe appropriate even at the time, but I, you called me years later and said, hey, you still up for this? And we did it, and, and you know, I put this thing together, but I got to say, like, I've never had a, 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 and I don't really do web stuff anymore, but I, I make exceptions, and this is sort of a labor of love. And, and, and I don't really have, I've never really had a client, including some family, who who were able to, to learn so quickly and build so so quickly based on what I'd done. I mean, I, I laid out the structure of this thing and I said, okay, you know, Jeannie, here's here's a you know here's how you build pages and and links and stuff. And I'm sure I'll hear from you tomorrow with tons of questions. And two months later, the site was done. I I, it, I mean, she was really just uh, I don't know how she did it. I don't know if she slept, um, but I was really very very impressed and impressed in the end with the site. Um, what what exactly? I mean, you know, the, totally um, sort of tangential question. You know, you you and Jeannie. Now, you guys you guys run this show together. What, right. what do you guys have specific roles that you guys take on in the show, or you know, do you handle certain things? She handles other things. How does that work? Um, it, actually, it varies. Um, I mean, like for example, she took predominant charge of the website rebuild. Yes, um, I remember that. You know, yeah. I, I didn't do much with the website rebuild. Um, you know, we we both do most of the planning. Um, you know, I handle a lot of the. The, the logistical management of things. Um, you know, we're, we're both emailing artists. I probably spend more time emailing uh, and more time coordinating that kind of stuff. Uh, when it comes to the graphic design, which is a huge part of this show, um, we both do it. Uh, you know, normally, you know, Jeannie always lays out Illich's concepts. Uh, sometimes she'll do the covers, sometimes I'll do the covers. You know, she'll do web graphics, I'll do web graphics, I'll make posters, she makes posters. You know, we just, that just kind of varies based on, hey, we need to get this poster up, which one of us has more time at this exact moment to do a poster and who's feeling more inspired. So, to so as it turns out, you guys are married. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. That's, and that's how that works. <laughs> and that's how that works, exactly. Um, I know from, from doing many projects with my wife that it's just sort of like, hey, are you less busy or am I less busy? Um, and and you guys and you guys you guys do other things outside of just this. Oh yes, yes. Uh, I mean, Jeannie is a freelance graphic designer and and tech writer, and I actually have a full time job uh, as an instructional designer for a federal government contractor. So, but I telecommute full time, and Jeannie works from home, so we're both here, and so we have a lot of flexibility in terms of, oh, we need to get this out now. There's usually one of us that can drop, you know, Something, what we're doing, yeah. and and, uh, and and work on stuff. So it makes it fairly feasible. I think if either one of us actually had a nine to five in the office job, I'm not sure that it would work. Yeah, it seems like. I mean, having having run a few much much smaller events myself, I, I can I can imagine that it just starts to eat up a lot of time, especially as you get closer to the date, dealing with just the customer service aspect of that. How, mm-hmm. does, how, does, how does that work? Does one of you handle more, more or fewer of the questions? Um, actually, we're, we're, we're working on getting that kind of split more and more and more, um, you know, where it's kind of whichever one of us happens to see the email first. You know, if it's a fairly straightforward customer question kind of thing, just kind of whichever one of us sees it first will answer it. Um, and sort of, you know, just kind of go on from there. You know, things that are more complicated, more complex, you know, lengthier things. It depends on exactly what it is, what it's about, even who it's from. Uh, you know, there are some people that Jeannie 
is closer to, and she's more likely to answer them. There's some people that I'm closer to, and I'm more likely right, this, to answer this them. This is not a, you know, this is not, you know, um, San Diego. This is a, this no. is this is a community of, of friends, uh, exactly. Mostly, mostly, you know, I want to step back just, you know, as as we as we wind down here a little bit, I want to step back and talk a little bit about the art. So um, now I know you don't hate digital art. I know, you, I, I, I know that, you know, for at least at least part of, you know, part of the impetus for this was your love of the traditional, like having the piece on the wall, the, the original piece of work. What do you think it's like for the digital artists who, who come to the show? Well, what we find, uh, what we hear from the digital artists, um, and, and, and it's, it's quite gratifying, uh, is that every year we have repeat digital artists who come to the show, who, who come to the show and come to the show more and come to the show more. Um, and as time goes on, there are fewer and fewer of those people who aren't, work, who aren't at least trying to work traditionally, yeah. some. Um, and that's one of, the, one of the intents of the show, um, is to, to bring in you know, young students, bring in the kids who, who may never have done anything that wasn't digital. Um, and expose them and give them a chance to see these magnificent traditional paintings mm -hmm. to inspire them to say, hey, you know, you should give oils a shot, you know, or you should give watercolors a shot, or you should give, you know, whatever. And, um, and, and, and that really seems to have had a significant effect. Um, you know, we see lots of people that when we first met them didn't do anything that wasn't digital who now do. Um, and then the other thing that we find, too, is that, you know, when it comes to, to making a magnificent work, you know, there's a tremendous amount of learning and a tremendous amount of inspiration that digital artists can, in fact, get from traditional artists. And so we find that the, the digital artists who come to the show learn just as much as the traditional people. Right. Um, no, I know, know. I know. You know, we. Uh, I'm involved in Rebecca's project, Smart School, and right. um, and she does the IMC. And there's there's plenty of digital artists who are students in those courses. And most of the instructors, uh, in fact, all all of the instructors, I'll say, are traditional. All of them are traditional artists. Now, some of them are more, you know, more or less better at digital. But um, you know, th they're they're all taking their lessons about light and composition and story and value and you know everything else that goes into making a picture you know they're communicating that to, to our students and certainly at Aluxicon I noticed you know everyone's running around talking to people trying to figure out you know how they did what they did I mean god that piece by Donato was I mean it's it was like 50 feet high like it just you know <laughs> you can't walk you can't walk up to something like that and you know lots of other artists had, had big paintings too but you know you can't walk up to, to paintings like that and not feel a sense of awe that you don't really get if it's if it's on your computer screen or if it's a print. Exactly, it's it's it, it's not the same thing. And, and I'm saying this things. as a digital artist. I, 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 yeah. and I and I don't feel like I'm throwing my kind under the bus when I say that. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like you know what what we do is 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 is, is has value. It's valid. The way we make our pictures is just as freaking hard as as it is for other people. Um, you know, learning Photoshop uh, is probably as hard, or maybe even harder than than learning something like oil or acrylic. Uh, but we just don't have a physical object at the end. Right. The, phys the physical object matters. Uh, I, think, I, mean, I do and, think and, it does. And it matters for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, one of the, the big reasons that it matters is that when you see a digital piece and you see it reproduced in print, that's how it's intended to be seen. 
because, I mean, you're not ever really going to see them on someone's monitor. I mean, you're going to see them in print, whether a big print, a chiclet print, a little print in, in a book, in a mat, whatever, you're going to see it in print. And that's how it's supposed to be. It's designed for that purpose. Whereas actual paintings, drawings, um, the camera does not interact right. with them physically the same way a human eye does. And so there's really a significant qualitative difference between looking at an original painting and looking at even the finest reproduction of that painting. Now, would you ever consider, you know, you're saying this and it's making me think about some of the things that people are doing with digital art now. Obviously, you know, digital artists for, maybe not obviously, I can tell you that digital artists for years have been trying to figure out how to keep doing what they're doing and, you know, pull in the same kind of cachet that comes from making an original painting. Now, would you ever consider you know, having uh, an artist who creates art objects, but with with digital art. You know, for for example, um, these you know these kind of like incredible uh, light displays that people set up with, you know, with their digital work that are truly one of a kind, but still not a physical. Not not it's physical, but it's not oil. It's not acrylic. It's not a sort of you know as you say traditional painted work. Right. Um, we intend, at least for the foreseeable future, to keep the main show at LXCon restricted to traditional media. Um, and that's simply because, well, there's several reasons, but the main reason for that is that there are, and particularly when you're talking about, now, if you're talking about some kind of giant installation project, I mean, obviously that's different. But when you're talking about normal digital output, uh, which is some form of print as a result, whether it's a one-off, whether it's big, small, whether it's printed on gold, whatever. You know, um, there are lots of venues that are fairly friendly to the display of those kinds of things mm -hmm. for those artists to have an opportunity to display their work. Whereas when it comes to, say, a 7-foot by 10-foot oil painting by Donato, uh, there are not, in fact, much in the way of venues that are friendly to the display of that kind of work, just from a logistical perspective. Interesting, interesting. So you think there's more opportunities out there for digital artists in, you know, who are doing those kinds of things than there are for the traditional realist painter? I think there are, in terms of exhibiting, and also, too, again, with a digital artist who, who tends to be, you know, shipping prints, you know, and again, they can be fabulous prints, but they're still prints. Um, you know, just even things like the logistics of shipping are a lot easier, as opposed to shipping a dozen large oil paintings. <laughs> yeah, which, um, yeah, my wife is an abstract painter, and I can tell you that's, that's not easy. Yes, and, and so, you know, it, it's, it's just a harder thing. So you'll find, like, for example, if you go to San Diego, you know, you will see Donato at San Diego, because Donato goes to San Diego every year. However, the, uh, the amount of paintings that Donato has at San Diego, not the same thing as the amount of paintings Donato has at Ilixcon. Right, because he can drive down. You know, um, because he can drive down, A, and B, he has a display environment that's actually appropriate for hanging large, major, framed, you know, paintings. And so that's one of the main reasons why you know, we, we kind of keep it that way. The other reason is, in all honesty, at this point, um, and this kind of goes back to the point we made earlier, you know, we really try very hard uh, to ensure that the artists who come to IllixCon do well. 
and we, based on our current knowledge of the collector market, and there just happened to be an endless thread about this on Facebook just yesterday, um, that based on our current knowledge of the collector market, they aren't going to pay substantive money for digital prints. At this point, at least, they just won't. Uh, there's no interest whatsoever. And so I know that if a digital artist came to the show, they flew in from L.A., and they came to the show, and they brought their digital prints, and they set up their prints, with a beautiful display and a beautiful booth, nobody would buy anything. Um, that was of substantive cost. And they would lose money. It, right. it, just, it would not be a good show for them. So in terms of your success metric, you're not confident that that would contribute positively? Well, I, I don't think... I think, the, I think those artists would be disappointed. Right. I mean, your success metric is, is quite generous to the artists. I mean, it's based on you know, everyone else having fun. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's perfectly fair. Um, you know, I want to I step uh, maybe to the side or diagonally or something. You know, we're, we're talking a lot about the people in the main show. We're talking a little bit about the digital people. You also have art directors from lots of different places come and mm -hmm. uh, look at portfolios. Now, this is a little bit of a of an underhand question, uh, or sorry, like a underhand in baseball is like an easy thing to hit. Mm -hmm. What do you call it? A, a slow ball or something? So, a, a, a softball. A softball, yeah. I'm, whew, we're going to edit that out and show. hopefully people won't find out what a terrible sports fan I am. Um, so here's a help. So you have art directors come. They're looking at portfolios all weekend. Um, I, I was one of them this year. What's, what's, what's the reason for that? How did that start? You know, how's that going? What's the purpose? What do you think is, is coming out of that? Well, that, that came about... Um, again, as sort of a dual purpose, um, you know, you've got a lot of, you know, students, you've got a lot of young artists um, who are wanting to get better, who are wanting to improve, and who in most cases are also wanting to get work. And so we felt that, hey, if we brought in some, you know, some of the art directors, they would, A, be able to give them good critiques of their work, um, and a lot of students also get portfolio reviews from the artists who are at the show. Um, yeah, I but, noticed that a lot. You know, and that's one of the sort of things I was, that's one of the things I was talking about before, where everyone's very open and very friendly. I, I noticed a lot of people just asking peers, people in the main show. You know, do you have a minute? Can you look at my work? And people giving really good, good, honest critiques. And as as a as an illustrator as well, I I, I definitely have gotten my portfolio reviewed at Aluxcon in the past. And you know, it's it's been it's been great. The one the one piece of advice, you know, if I may, that I would give to artists who are going to a Luxcon and hoping to get their portfolio reviewed is, you know, don't don't be shy about it. Um, you know, people are willing to people are willing to do this, it, even if you're not on the list. You know, the sign up list because that thing goes in like a minute. Um, you know, you can talk to people there. The thing that I notice people do though that that I think. Um, you know that they should not do is, uh, is is you know when they get their review and somebody says sort of you know very nice and 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 they sort of back off. There's often something underneath that. I I remember specifically a review I had with uh, an art director two or three years ago, um, might have been three years ago, uh, and you know he looked at my stuff and and you know sort of said okay you know sort of thanks uh, and I said well you know can you give me you know can you give me some feedback on it. And and he said, sure, you know, I, you know, it's not really for me, you know, because I, I, you know, any kind of any kind of left it at that. And I said, well, tell me why, you know. And I and I pushed him, I just pushed him for kind of as much as I could get out of him, because, you know, these guys, these guys who are coming to the show and doing reviews, they they have they have a lot of knowledge about what what not only what is good art, but what is hireable, 
you know, what they're looking for, what other people are looking for. And I found, you know, in, in my own story, I found that by asking that question, I was able to get, I mean, I got an incredible critique from this guy. We went through every single one of my pieces. We were sketching out compositions. We were, you know, basically doing drawovers of everything that I had. And I walked away with just, you know, uh, a semester's worth of, of art school knowledge uh, from the one review. And I think that anybody who's going to a LuxCon, you know, who's, who's looking for work or, you know, who is starting out, who's a student, who, who needs some advice, you know, pu definitely push these guys for, like, the most honest, you know, straightforward feedback uh, that you can possibly get. If you want to get crits on specific pieces, be polite. Uh, if people don't have time, they don't have time. There's a lot of socializing and catching up and old friends and that kind of stuff. But if someone has time, definitely try to, you know, encourage them to be honest because it's tough sometimes you don't know when you know when someone's sort of talking to you you don't know if they're really ready to hear uh the hard truth about what you think if it is a hard truth but um you know i would definitely encourage that yeah i, I think i think very much so and, and the other thing too is that you know some of the art directors who come and, re and review portfolios at ilixcon do portfolio reviews all the time uh people like john shindahedi oh yeah uh you know or lauren panapinto uh, or Zoe Robinson. Mm -hmm. You know, they do portfolio reviews all the time, all over the place. Um, but then we try very hard to bring in art directors who aren't everywhere else. Uh, and so we'll bring in someone like Wade Buchanan, who's, who runs Gallery Nucleus mm, yep. in L.A., who handles, who's, who's showing imaginative realist work in their shows. Um, and so we'll bring in people like that. We'll bring in someone like Joe Shupak from Sony Online. Um, you know, who, or, or Rob Rupel. Yeah, Rob, Rob's, another, Rob's another great, great reviewer. If, you, if, if anyone listening to this can come next year and get a review with him, you'll, you won't regret it. Um, you know, but, but they, they aren't, you know, they're not doing reviews all the time. Um, and so in some cases, like now Rob's been doing reviews at IlxCon for several years. Um, you know, but sometimes, you know, somebody will come in, it's their first year you know, at the show, and, and they're used to being an art director, but they're not really used to doing live portfolio reviews as much. You know, it may take them a little bit of time to get their feet wet to the process, too. Um, and so, you know, I think that kind of encouragement, that kind of back and forth, I think really helps them, too, uh, you know, to give them up. well, hey, here's, here's what I really want to know. Then it gives them a, okay, great, well, let's talk about that. You know, and, and it gives them a really good direction. Yeah. No, I mean, I can say, uh, you know, having, and, and this is actually something that Mike Sass, who's part of the, the Drawn Today crew, this is something he wanted me to touch on. I, I've, I've, I am an illustrator, and I am an art director, and, and uh, but obviously, or maybe not obviously, I was an illustrator first and was working on that. And it's interesting coming to the other side of the table. I didn't show this year. I didn't have a showcase table, and I basically came and, you know, caught up with friends and did portfolio reviews. And, and being on the other side of the table... You know, I, he, Mike was sort of, Mike was sort of like, well, you know, talk about talk about what it's like. I mean, what it's like is really, I you know, sitting on the other side of the table, I realized that everything I ever heard as an illustrator from an art director was true. You know, all the all the things about like, you know, you need to you need to build this many pieces. They have to be all of them have to be top quality. Get rid of your worst piece. Get rid of your three worst pieces if you can. You know, all all of these this these kind of cheat sheet of advice that you could almost write up as an art director. Like all these things are actually true um, and and having been an illustrator you know one thing that I I tried and, and I hope I succeeded I, I, I got a few thank you emails um, was to was to really was to really give as much honest feedback as possible about specific work 
because um, it's not just about sort of like, oh, well, you know, I'm not looking for this, and that's not necessarily the most helpful thing. One of the things that I know Rob does, uh, having been in a review with him, is that he'll, he'll literally go through, so, you know, a lot of the fundamentals of what it is to create a picture if, if he thinks you need it. Um, and that kind of feedback, sit, you know, again, sitting on the AD side of the table, you know, sitting and, and talking to these people who, who were essentially, I was in their seat, you know, two years ago, um, and continue to be an illustrator and continue to sit in their seat occasionally, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to sort of know what they're thinking um, and, to, and to know, like, I know that you're not asking me this, but I'm, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you and, and I'm going to ask you if it's okay that I tell you this and then I'll tell you this and that kind of thing. Um, so it was a very, it was an interesting, it was, it was almost like sitting with myself uh, mm -hmm. in, in some ways and, and kind of knowing what I'm thinking and wondering if the other person knew what I was thinking too. It was very, it was very <laughs> sci-fi in, in that regard. So I guess it was appropriate in, in that sense. Um, well, let me ask, you know, uh, this, is, this was the sixth year. I assume you have no plans of uh, shutting the show down. So what's, uh, you know, what does the future of Aluxcon look like? You know, what challenges do you face? Uh, is, is, is it sustainable as it is? Um, I think the, the, the biggest challenge that we face is the, is the same biggest challenge that we've always faced, um, which is making sure that the show gets better every year, um, at least arguably so. Uh, you know, some people, well, you know, we actually preferred, you know, LXCon 4 to LXCon 5 by a slight <laughs> margin, but then 6 was better, you know. I mean, but, but generally speaking, you know, we need to continue to make sure that show is better every year. And one of the great things about it is the artists help us out with that a lot. Um, because now LXCon has kind of gotten to the point where we wanted it where a lot of the exhibiting artists basically treat it like a group gallery show. Um, and, and many of the artists are actually painting for this show, specifically. Right. And no, I so, know that to be true, yeah. And so every year, the work gets better and better and better and better, even if it's the same artists. Um, I mean, if you, if you could go back and, and look at the exhibit uh, that was at IllixCon 1... <laughs> and look at the exhibit that was at IllixCon 6, it's not even in the same league. Now, are, um, there, are, there, any, are there any artists that, that, that uh, you wish you could get over here that, that haven't been able to make it or haven't um, shown interest? Yeah, there's a few we're working on. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know we, 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 have a, we have a regular yearly conversation with John Howe, okay. um, who has sworn to come to the show as soon as he's not stuck in New Zealand. Okay. <laughs> That's a bit. Um, that's a bit of a trek. I know some people made it over though. You know, so uh, as soon as he's he's not in the middle of a film somewhere, uh, you know, one of these days we 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 will in fact see him at the show. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's you know, a few other people that we would we would like to see um, that we won't. Um, and uh, you know, for 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 one specific reason actually, which is that because IllixCon is kind of the art family environment sort of scenario. Mm -hmm. um, we think that all of the artists should be treated equally, and so we don't have guests of honor. Ah, I see. Um, and so we don't pay for any of the artists to attend the show. And there are some artists who we'd like to have at the show, and they'd like to come to the show. We've had the conversation with them, uh, you know, but they just have a rule that they don't go anywhere without being comped and paid. 
And, you know, we, we completely understand that, totally cool with that, totally, but we won't ever comp or pay you. Um, you know, and so those people just aren't there. And, you know, I, I, I wish they would be, but, you know, it's one of those things. Um, you know, but paying somebody to come in would just really kind of corrupt a, a fundamental element of, of the show and what it's built around, and, and we just won't do it. Well, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I, I hadn't even thought of it in those terms. I guess, I guess it does, in a sense, level the playing field. Like, we're all, we're all there on equal footing, whether you are literally in art school uh, or, you know, you, you're showing in the main show. Well, it, it's something that, that, and it's something like we, we try to, you know, explain on our, our website and the frequently asked questions and things, because it's, it's unusual, um, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, most other shows, you know, have guests of honor and they have people coming, um, you know, and so when someone looks at the list for Elixcon 6, for example, and they see Roger Dean, they assume that we've paid Roger Dean to come to the show uh, because he's Roger Dean. Right. Um, well, we didn't pay Roger Dean to come to the show. Um, you know, he came to the show on his own freight with he his daughter. Brought his like, daughter, who's very just nice. Just like everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so that's, you know, and, and, and it really makes a difference, we feel, that we do it that way. Plus the fact, how would you have guests of honor at Illixcon anyway? Right. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, how do you say, okay, well, you know, a... Michael Whalen, you're a guest of honor, <laughs> Boris Vallejo and Greg Hildebrandt, you're not. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, it would just be so awkward I was, to do that. Speaking, that. speaking of collecting, I was very, very happy to pick up one of the uh, the Hildebrand books. The ah, um, uh, fair. Yes, they're nice. The the limited edition ones with the uh, uh, the Tolkien years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I don't think my uncle's going to listen to this podcast, so I'll say I'll say here it's a gift for him, and I think and he's you know he's a huge Tolkien fan, and he's going to love it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and there's so many things like that that just, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about this as, as you are, obviously, as a, as a gallery show, but that, that is really qualitatively the difference uh, for me about AluxCon versus other cons. Other cons are very focused on, I mean, for better or worse, kind of the logistics and the, like, what are you selling? Obviously, you guys do, too, but there's an element that's, that's different, and that is it. That is that this is, this is everyone's coming together to put on, a, and we're all coming together to put on the best show we can. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I know. Every like you said, everyone I know is constantly, you know, I'm, I'm, I got to finish up this painting for a Luxcon, not for their gallery, not for a client, for a Luxcon, for, you know, obviously they love to sell sell the work, but I think it just puts on a great show. And there's tons of, you know, there's 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 all kinds of little finds in there. You know, you're walking around and suddenly you realize you're face to face with, you know, Greg Hildebrand, who's you know your art hero for a million years, and you didn't even know he was still alive. So it's you know it's like a crazy, you know, these crazy moments. Um, I think I probably Instagrammed that moment, um, but um, I don't. So, so my la- so can you? Is there is there anything you can give us? Is there anything that you can give us drawn today? Like the scoop on? Is there like a, a a thing that we can expect next year that like you haven't announced yet? Um, well, we're, we're we're still in in the planning stages for next year. Um, we literally just today finalized our jury because, of course, the main show and the weekend salon are juried. Right. Um, and so we do a different jury every year, a five-person jury, and we just today literally uh, finalized our jury, which I can give you as a scoop. However, we'll probably actually be announcing it within the next couple of days. Probably before we launch our before podcast. Before you actually launch the podcast, <laughs> uh, at which point it won't be a scoop, but I'll give it to you anyway, just you know, just for, for well, our Maybe you didn't sake. hear it here first, but it was recorded here first. It was go, recorded go, here go first. Go ahead, Pat. Um, the, uh, the jurors, every year for the jury, we do... 
what we do now is we do a mix of people who are familiar with contemporary imaginative realist painting um, and people who are not familiar with contemporary imaginative realist painting but who are experts in realist painting. Mm -hmm. So we have some people who are judging and are able to judge against the field and other people who are judging strictly based on what does that painting look like because I've never heard of a Julie Bell. Interesting. Okay. You know, um, and so this year, the, the, the two judges who are from the field or familiar with the field, uh, Jane and Howard Frank will be judging, Fantastic. who, of course, are Big collectors, yeah. widely known historians and, and collectors in the field. Um, and the other person from the field is Guillermo del Toro. Uh, wow. the is he going to be at the show next year? Uh, I don't expect him to be at the show. Uh, the judging, of course, takes place online. Right. Uh, you know, well, I mean, literally in the next, like, four weeks. Um, so I don't expect him to be at the show, but, hey, you never know. Mm -hmm. uh, but he is judging the show. Um, and then uh, we also have, we, we like to try to bring in one teacher somewhere in the process. Um, so this year it's Jeffrey Watts. Oh, fantastic. Uh, who is the yeah. founder of the Watts Atelier and a multi-award-winning painter. Um, and then from the non-field perspective, we have two um, fabulous, fabulous judges. Uh, one is Dr. Gregory Hedberg, who is currently the director of European art at the Herschel and Adler Galleries in Manhattan, um, but previously was the chief curator at the Wadsworth Athenaeum um, Museum. And we also have Vern Swanson, Dr. Vern Swanson, who's the director emeritus at the Springville, or Springville Museum of Art, uh, who is the world's leading authority on uh, Alma Tetema and Godward, uh, okay. and has written the catalogue raisonnés for both of those artists. And so these are the five people that will be actually selecting who gets into the main show in the salon this year. Well, I'm I'm going to send this over to uh, our editors and and try to beat you to the punch. But that's great. That sounds like a really that sounds like a great jury. And I, it's interesting to know how you got how you um, how you organize it as well. I didn't realize that it was sort of inside and outside the field. Yeah, it, it's it's deliberate because we, we didn't want a jury that was all, you know, that didn't know anything about the field completely. Uh, we think there's there's a real benefit to having jurors who are familiar with the field and the artists in it. Um, but we also really like the work being judged as realist painting uh, by someone who doesn't have any idea what Bob Eggleton has ever done in his entire life right. and is just looking at three Bob Eggleton paintings and saying, you know, these are great, so in the show. Right, as, and, a, as opposed to someone who recognizes it and is influenced by the reputation of the artist, etc. That's that's something that we're trying to avoid. It's something that kind of afflicts, you know, most jury awardee based systems in the field, um, because you you can't escape it. No, you can. You you look at you know you look at an Eggleton. You look at a. I keep coming back to Donato just because he lives about ten blocks from me. But right. you know you you look at artists like that and you go, well, you can recognize it, and it's hard to not separate it. Like as soon as you know it's theirs, it's hard to separate from. Your, from, their, from the reputation, from the reputation, you know. and your love of their work and that stuff, you know. So, so yeah. So that that's one thing. Um, you know, we're we're working on uh, an exhibit for next year's show to coincide with it, but I don't have enough of that 
I, I, that, it's not solid enough yet that I can actually give it to you as a scoop. Okay. Well, I think, I mean, I think I mean, you've I mean, given us quite a lot. In fact, you know, I said we were going to go for half an hour, and we've gone for almost an hour now. So I don't, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I want to say, um, I want to say thank you to you and to and to Jeannie for you know for a LuxCon, um, and also you for your time tonight. It's been very uh, very informative, and the people have drawn today and the fans have drawn today. Thank you. You're very welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And and, and where, where were the where were the questionable questions? Oh, you know, talking about money and you know all that stuff. It's a, it's it's often you know it's often a very tricky subject. And it, you know it's funny. You know, one of the things that I do like about this community is that you know, with exception, you know, we will talk about that because it's um, it's important. There's there's too many people coming into the field right now, and too few actual you know sort of consistent regular jobs as fantasy artists. I mean, I, I don't I don't really know where those jobs are. They're at game companies and maybe, you know, a couple other places. But in you know, in terms of going into the freelance world, it's uh, there's way more artists than there than there is art. So people have to be not only creative about how they make money, but realistic about what that money looks like and what they need to do to pay rent. Um, and you know, I know that uh, you know something we didn't touch on are the workshops, and I know that there's you know there's there's business workshops at AluxCon, and there's there's workshops about you know not just making different kinds of art for different kinds of clients, but the financial side. And um, and I think that's you know and, I, and now now I now I regret not talking about it, but uh, but it is one of the things that I think AluxCon has that I haven't really seen at other conventions is that kind of um, really take taking that kind of topic head on in the workshops and just on the floor. Well, it's important. It's, it's, you know, I mean, honestly, it's part of the purpose of IllixCon. I mean, when we founded IllixCon, uh, you know, now things have, have actually changed a little bit in, in the intervening years, interestingly enough. Uh, but when we founded IllixCon, there was a real concern among a lot of the community that the traditional artists were, in fact, going to become extinct um, because they could not compete time-wise with digital artists. Um, right. And that they would either starve or be forced to go digital in order to be able to take enough work to compete and meet deadlines. Um, and, and so one of the things we were trying to do with IllixCon originally was to give these artists a venue both to exhibit traditional work so that there was a reason to, to A, there was a reason to paint anything traditionally, um, and B, one of the big points that IllixCon hammers every year to paint personal works traditionally um, and and also to give them a marketplace to sell those works so that they could afford to continue painting them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because they, they, there was a, a concern about that. Um, you know, now as time has gone on, more people are going back to traditional um, because the marketplace, as you said, has become so glutted that even that even the digital artists are having a difficult time making it making well, the, the thing that I the, you know the conversation that I hear most of the time when, when I do hear people going back to traditional traditional is um, you know it's, it's, it's the original piece is another way to make money exactly and, and, it, and it's, it's a an significant way to make money yeah. and, and the big difference the big thing in, in what we tell people with, with sort of with the traditional pieces is that you know when you're working for a client and you're working strictly on a commission from the client for publication usage you know, you are restricted to their pay rate. And if they decide not to change their pay rate for 20 years, that's what you're going to get paid for the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas if you are selling your originals, 
it's in your control to build a following and build a reputation and be able to increase your prices so that 20 years from now, your original paintings are not selling for what they sold for 20 years ago. Um, and it gives you potentially a more stable source of income um, than at, an, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a source of income that at least adjusts for inflation at a minimum, um, which the commission fees frequently, at least over the past 10 or 15 years, have not. And yeah. so that, that's a significant part of it. And, and, you know, we find, you know, a, a lot of people who are, are doing that. Uh, you know, we get the people that are the mix. They'll do, you know, their work for publishers digitally and then paint personal works traditionally. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I could, I could, there's probably more names in, in my head than I could possibly list in, you know, the next hour that, that do that. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I know who are doing digital work, uh, especially people who are doing digital work for, you know, big, well-known clients are, are taking the time, you know, and sometimes the time they have is because, they're, you know, they're getting paid to do to do commissions for these people, but mm-hmm. that time they're using to, to get back to traditional. I think... I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't actually know very many artists who've never, never touched any kind of traditional paint. There are, there are plenty now. Um, I don't, I don't happen to really know too many, but, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, for me anyway, and for the people that I know, it's, it's, it's like going back to your first love. It's the thing that you, it's, it's your first bike. It's the thing that you learned on. It's the thing that, you know, you, you learned how to create pictures in these, in this other media. And then, for whatever reason, kind of went over to the the digital side. Going back is just—it's just amazing. Well, and, and it really allows for a lot of flexibility, um, you know, because you know, as as you know, as we go on, you know, one thing that, that we have are very pleased with with what has happened with Elixcon over the years is that the collector base is getting larger, and the prices are getting higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both broadly and specifically at the show. Um, you know, and and so I mean, it I mean literally, uh, and that wasn't quite quite to this extent, but it was it was not that far off. Where literally, you know, if you compared the sales of the first Ilixcon to this Ilixcon, um, you know, this was a five day show. We did, if you I don't didn't keep track of what day sales happened, but if you just divided it by five. Um, you know, literally, we did two thirds of the entire first Ilixcon every day. Wow! In sales. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, and and those are new. I mean, everybody didn't suddenly become wealthy. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, those are a lot more collectors and a lot more people who are coming in and, and buying work. Uh, we were thrilled to see that that you know we had. Because this year at the show, we actually sold single-day tickets for Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw, you know, folks from Allentown who... I did see a lot of people in there who I didn't know, know and, personally. And, <laughs> and we saw folks from Allentown who came, who liked At the Edge, came to the show and bought thousands of dollars worth of paintings. Wow, wow. Um, you know, because they are realist art fans. And these are among the best realist painters in the world. Yeah, and when, you can, you know, and when you consider that, the prices, you know, even in the multi-thousands actually are fairly reasonable. When you, when you consider, you know, if you're a fan of this as much as you are a fan of, you know, one of the old masters, this is certainly a bargain. 
Oh, it's it's, it's a ridiculous bargain. Even, <laughs> even even compared to, I mean, literally even compared to regular contemporary realist painting, which is massively looked down upon by the art establishment. Um, but even those prices are significantly higher than those in the imaginative realist field so far. Um, they're improving. They're getting better. But, yeah. uh, you know, they, they are, it really is a bargain. Um, you know, we had one very, very well-known major realist art collector come to the show, um, literally bought an artist's entire wall. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the guy had two paintings that were sold and the rest were hanging there, and he went up and bought all of them. <laughs> you That's know? incredible. What a day, man. That guy must have partied you know? that night. And, uh, you know, I mean, so it's, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that where, and that's, that's a big audience that we're really trying to reach are the people who are realist art collectors, the people that are buying Jeremy Lipking mm -hmm. and the people that are buying, you know, Jeremy Mann and the people that are, that are buying, you know, Jeffrey Watts, the people that are buying that art. What we have found is that in an awful lot of cases, when they're exposed to imaginative real, they like it. Um, you know, I mean, we were, I was even surprised with our judges uh, that I'd never had any contact with before. Um, both of them were, oh, yeah, I, I, I really like imaginative realist painting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about judging the show. And so what we're finding, interestingly enough, is that it's not that the academic establishment is anti-fantasy and science fiction themes. It's that, by and large, they're anti any kind of narrative realist painting. And as soon as you find anybody who's not anti-realist painting, they are more than likely to embrace this as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I couldn't agree more with, with all of that. Um, you know, there, there's a couple topics we, we didn't hit. You know, we didn't talk much about the workshops, and I'll just say that there, there are some great workshops by some of the leaders in the field about everything from art to business to what it's like to work for you know places like magic and that kind of thing and you know thank you pat and thank you Jeannie, for you know creating a, a wonderful event that that again another topic we didn't touch on there is a lot of uh... catching up and getting together and getting to know people you know we for those who haven't been a lot of you know a lot of the evenings are basically you know you you go and you find you meet people during the day you go have dinner with them at night you go back to the hotel and you know you you hang out and you talk about art and you look at art and you look at people's work and you t and you and you and 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 the great thing about this this uh, community is that it's so fluid and people are very very happy to talk about um, their work because it, it's fun like you know if you if you went to like a party with uh, a bunch of lawyers. It might, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they would talk about work too. I don't know. I just, I may, would probably have less of a good time there. But, um, but, but people's work is their love and their joy. And the, the LuxCon is just a great place to go back to that group of friends and, you know, fall back in love with the work. So, so thanks again, and um, you know, for for everything, for the show, for your time tonight. Um, I'm looking forward to getting this released on Drawn Today, hopefully in the next couple of days. We'll see what Mike Sass has to say about that, since he's the editor. <coughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Great. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, um, as as always. And, uh, you know, I always enjoy it on the podcast with you guys. And, um, you know, we're just, uh, you know, the show, next year's show is September 17th through the 21st. 
uh, at the Allentown Museum again. And uh, we will be opening up the jurying process um, within the next week. And you can find information at aluxcon.com. Mm -hmm. Or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash aluxcon. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. Steve Belladin. It's Sunday afternoon here, last day of Illixcon. Uh, we're hanging out. Our booths are right across the uh, the room from each other, and I'm interested to talk to Steve because Steve's a very experienced magic artist and uh, has some pieces in his portfolio that are just outstanding, that are sublime, that uh, take magic art to a fine art level. So, uh, Steve, can you talk about some of your experiences in magic? Maybe the uh, the high points and the low points where it works and sometimes why it works, why it doesn't work, and uh, and as an experienced magic art, what, what you aspire to after having those experiences? Um, well, I mean, as far as working and not working goes, um, you know, I'm always game to try anything, but and you're absolutely correct in, in saying that sometimes it just doesn't come together. Um, and I've got greatest hits and greatest misses like anybody else. I think, um, as far as I'm concerned, my greatest hit is probably is the art that I did for for a surgical extraction. Um, it's it's sort of combined the kind of imagery I like to do, uh, the mood I was in at the time was just spot on. Uh, my sensibilities, I think, were right for the assignment, and the assignment itself, you know, just just jived with everything. And it was one of those pieces that just poured out of me. It was, you know, it's kind of quality-wise and imagery-wise imagery the thing that I constantly aspire to. And it, therefore, is the only painting I'll never sell from Magic. Oh, that was going to be my question. Yeah. So is it hard to sell those ones? Um, that's literally the only one personally. My wife has a couple that she wants to keep, but that one is the only one that personally I have, have kept. So do you feel it and know it when it's done, or do you sort of... Does that develop when you get praise from other artists and you realize its qualities? No, I think um, it, it, with that piece in particular, I knew as I was doing it, I was kind of constantly surprised by the choices I was making, and I was excited by the process as it was taking place. And um, but you know, the closer I got to the end, the more frightened I became because there's you know, oh no, I might mess this up, I might lose it. Um, but somehow I managed to keep. Uh, keep mentally, you know, relaxed enough to follow through, and it became a piece that I really, um, you know, cherish, um, which now, is rare for me. What's interesting to me is is a split between, say, what fans like because it's a power card or a playable, you know, popular playable image, and then what's, like, artistically appreciated. Um, what sort of gymnastics goes on in your mind in terms of um, I don't know, not self-congratulatory aspects, but um, are you more excited when it appeals to your peers and yourself, or uh, can you qualify and, and just talk about the differences between appealing to the gamer masses versus appealing to 
your growth personally as an artist and satisfaction of of a successful artistic piece? That's a toughie because you know the the stuff that um, ends up becoming popular cards are like super awesome in the uh, the promotional sense. Like you know you become uh, more of a name by by those pieces. But in a strange way, like I I, I often find, unfortunately, that the more popular cards that I've done end up being art that I'm not entirely happy with. Mm. So in that regard, it, it makes um, my my feelings towards those are very easy to describe. Essentially, typically, um, it's I'm more worried about the artistic integrity and, and what I wanted out of the piece and what I'd hoped it would be at the very beginning. Um, and as far as, as praise and that kind of thing goes, I so very cherish the the uh, you know the opinions of my peers and whether or not the work that I'm doing is is respected um, and you know that kind of thing but at the end of the day I still strive most of all to make myself happy and if I'm not you know I'm very I've found over the years difficult to please as far as my own work goes um, and so it's extremely rare that I am happy but I'm at least striving for that every time I sit down in front of the easy so let's let's talk a little bit then about the other side of the coin where Maybe you turn in a piece of average art. There's a million reasons, of course. Uh, you know, you didn't have enough time. You know, you just have to move forward with an idea sometimes, you know, just based on your schedule. Yeah. Or, I mean, you're given a card that you just, it puts you in a box. There's limitations, you yeah. know, internally, externally. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've been doing it a long time, so you're probably not super paranoid that you're not going to get called back. But over over your career... Can you talk about how failures have affected you or how um, how pieces that are average um, affect you real- realistically or just the fears that they may bring and uh, and how are those two things balanced like I can imagine you know I think it's well known that that there's not a whole lot of communication in the the magic commissioning process um, I felt that myself a little bit just that that constant sort of paranoia. Um, can you talk about when that goes away, if it goes away? <laughs> um, I, I do not feel my job is safe. Um, as you know, I've been doing this, the bar for Magic Art has gotten higher and higher and higher. Um, and I'm personally very afraid of being left by the wayside, quite frankly. I mean, it's very possible. I mean, there, there are many illustrators who don't work for Magic anymore. It, it's a very real fact that I'm super aware of. Um, as far as the average work goes, I, I'm, you know, they do happen. Um, sometimes things get away from you. Sometimes um, an assignment you're given just isn't in your wheelhouse, and you're you're basically doing the kind of imagery that you're just not cracked up to do, and and falls well with the outside your sensibilities. That's usually where my, you know, mediocre to stinker pieces end up, you know, coming, you know, resulting from. Um, but the the one thing at least that I do know is, is that um, typically art directors expect your A game um, 100% of the time, but they hire you off of your worst piece. You know, and they're looking at your portfolio, the worst piece in your portfolio, they're expecting it to not look any worse than that. And as long as I can keep above that bar, you know, uh, which is, you know, sounds weird to be like thinking that way, but, it, you know... It, I just don't want to ever turn in the worst piece I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how that can affect you, well, if you continually hurt hand in the worst piece you've ever done, yeah, it, it might end up resulting in you not working for magic. Uh, right. Does that mean you're permanently exiled? No. Um, you can always get back in the game. But hey, Can you qualify then, like, um, in your opinion, are the magic ADs uh, trying to generate hits out of your artistic accomplishments or are they more concerned about the bar not falling below a certain level and that there's a certain consistency of, of decent work uh, I think ideally uh, they want everybody's best work that they've ever done I think uh, they absolutely want to do that within the confines of the brand I mean I think brand probably trumps all um, so, you know, some people, what they might consider to be their best work might actually fall outside of what the brand requires. But more often than not, they're really looking for everybody to just do the best work they can. Um, and they're super, they're totally aware that sometimes, you know, things fall apart or, you know, your cat dies or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think they really are. And, and, you know, with everybody's best work, then you already have hopefully uh, consistent quality across the the, uh, the board it's it's excellent with so little communication and FaceTime as a magic artist mm -hmm. how can you judge your standing um, uh, essentially if you get more work uh, I mean uh, and how I think you know when they start when you get to the point where you're in the regular rotation and um, you're, if you're getting, if you're not asked, they're not asking you for constant revisions to your sketches and everything. I think you're you're in a pretty good place. Um, that means essentially they're really hoping that you get the flavor and the themes of the brand, and you understand what the how to translate your images or the their ideas into your imagery. And they're really hoping that you nail imagery that works in such a small scale. Um, and if you really can consistently give them those uh, uh, enough where they're not constantly having to uh, ask for changes and, and tweaks, then I think you're in, probably in a good place. And I think eventually if, you're, if you've uh, developed a rapport with them and they, can, they see you as reliable over time, then they might even go as far as to ask you how many pieces you could take on a given set um, that's upcoming. Um, I don't always get that. Sometimes it's just, you know, the next set is coming up and your assignment will be forthcoming. Um, but uh, every once in a while they'll ask me how many I want to take. So clearly I'm, I feel like I'm sort of skidding along the bottom, as it were. You know, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm on that threshold. Okay. Um, yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to gauge sometimes, especially sure. for someone new that hasn't had the personal interactions yeah. with the other artists and the ADs and... You know, it takes time, but in that time that it takes, you know, that's that's a risky time period where you know you might you might just misjudge expectations. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing the thing I think is uh, above all else, communication actually is key. Um, if if you know, they the art directors are extremely busy. They're they're commissioning and dealing with three hundred images at any given point in time. Um, 90 to 100 artists, depending on what's going on. Uh, so that's a lot of stuff to keep track of. Um, however, uh, if you can, if you have questions and you have uh, concerns, you know, 
succinct emails or phone calls usually get responded uh, to you know pretty quickly, and they're, they'd much rather have you uh, ask a question and give you an answer than have you change or have to recommission or have you change things. Um, but they, they, as far as I'm concerned, have a very unenviable task of wrangling you know essentially cats. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much, Steve. That was uh, some great insight into the life of an uh, experienced magic artist. <laughs> We're here at Ilexcon, just having a little bit of breakfast. We got Ryan Pancoast. Hi all. We got uh, Milivoy Cheran. Hi again. And we got Philip Bourbon. Hi. <laughs> you cannot see Philip's big personality, but uh, <laughs> Philip's the big jovial guy with the uh, with the internet voice that doesn't belie his uh, his big nature. <laughs> but yeah, we just got an hour to kill here before the the con starts on Saturday morning. Today's going to be the big day. Hopefully, we'll have a lot of public coming, public from New York, driving up in their Mercedes is with their their poodles and their fur coats. Big wads of cash. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so Ryan, what's been a highlight for you so far? Highlight for me has been um, making a lot of small sales um, that have kind of added up to a good show, and making some great connections with art directors and this is what's best about this show is talking with people and handing out business cards wherever you can. What about you, Milliboy? Uh what's highly been great the show. Yeah, what have you enjoyed this time? Uh, this time uh, I really enjoyed uh, I met some people that I uh, couldn't meet uh, any, uh, anywhere else. I met uh, Irene Gallo from Tor Books and also some bigger names like uh, Hildebrandt. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was my highlights so far. Hildebrandt's work is so much bigger yeah, than I expected. Yeah, I didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> it's I was surprised. I was surprised. And his life story is crazy. I went to his talk and he, yeah. was, he was talking mm -hmm. about how he had, like, his biggest fan was Michael Jackson. Yeah, how we hung out with Michael for like a month yeah. at like Neverland Ranch. <laughs> that was oh, yeah. Uh, um, I have another highlight at Jam Session. I play again with Mark Zuck and uh, other illustrators, and we are playing White Snake. Uh, I had a White Snake shirt, but I forgot my wig in Croatia, so uh, I'm bold. <laughs> and uh, Philip, what's been great for you so far? Just to be here. That's my highlight. You know. After a whole year, yeah, have the opportunity to be at the show. After a whole year of sort of yeah. by yourself a lot and yeah, just yeah. working and being very sort of lonely in the room, yeah. Yeah. in a kingdom yeah. far, far away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you and Milliboy, do you guys get together? Are you that close? And no, no, we live with. We are not from the same city. Okay. We just talk yeah. through the phone, you know. <laughs> Do you have any like local friends in your city or town that you are mean uh, artists? Yeah, like this that you can talk on the uh, same level. I have, but 
they do the different kind of art. Yeah. Not this thing, fantasy art and kind of stuff. I mean, most of my friends, they're all graffiti writers, I don't know, sculptors, painters, yeah, this same, kind of yeah. stuff. So I, I only talk with Millie over the yeah. phone about these things, you know? Each it's day, like, every day. When, oh, yeah. When we travel to, Amer to the United States, it's like... <laughs> Yeah. Fantasy land, <laughs> literally. Yeah. I think it's the same for everybody, though. Like, you know, sure, 90% of the artists here are from the U.S., but it doesn't mean that they're all, you know, hanging out, you know, like, they yeah. all live in their own little uh, out-of-the-way place. Yeah, in there. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we have the same situation as uh, Bonner and uh, Async. Yeah, uh, yeah, just because they are all uh, they they share uh, share the same studio, yeah? yeah. But they are just two guys from the uh, Denmark, no, Copenhagen. No, yeah. yeah, yeah, Copenhagen, yeah, right. But Bonner is Englishman. He yeah, but uh, they live. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul so. Bonner and Jesper Icing. Yeah, because yeah. uh, uh, I have the the similar situation in in Zagreb. I live in capital. Uh, we are like uh, Philip and I, are like uh, 150 miles away, and uh, I have a lot of friend uh, illustrators, but uh, none of them is uh, specialized in fantasy art only. Uh, there are some, yeah, yeah, there are some illustrators that are uh, that are doing uh, some fantasy uh, commissions, some just, but they are mainly chi sorry children book illustrators or they are comic book artists but uh, so far uh, philip and i uh, uh, were the only two that actually uh, uh, say we are fantasy artists period yeah, yeah. Uh, we can make something else but our first goal is to be fantasy artists job yeah. yeah. And Ryan, where do you live? I live in Providence, and so I have more of an opportunity to talk to artists, even though I'm, like most artists, kind of hole up in my studio and barely make the effort. But since Lars Grant West is in Providence, Rob Ray, Dave Seeley, among others, uh, I have a lot of opportunity to talk to other artists, but usually I'm working <laughs> does it happen like maybe just a couple times a year you run into them or I have how to, often I have to travel to Allentown to talk to people that live right next door because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm usually antisocial and praying that paint will dry in the corner of my studio yeah. rather than going out and talking to people but that's my fault <laughs> do you have a family life that sort of keeps you you know in a real routine like I do yeah a wife and a soon be baby is pretty much the answer no, I'm still are you okay yeah Right, we're back here. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I guess uh, we just learned Milivoy is or uh, Philip has hit a massive tooth problem. <laughs> yeah. I'm still standing. He's smiling. <laughs> He's been hiding it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what do you guys think? Like, uh, I think we're talking. It's, it's so far. I mean, we're only about less than half done the con. Sales are a little slow because it's really competitive. You know, and the the main public hasn't shown up yet. But um, I think we all do. We all agree that just coming here purely socially is almost 100% worth it for yes. the money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, for me it is because it's, it's relatively cheap to get here. It's yeah. a quick, it's a four-hour car drive, and you know, I, I would come here even if I wasn't even if I wasn't exhibit, uh, exhibiting my work, I'd still come. I consider this like basically my vacation for the year. Like <laughs> yeah. having having two kids and whatnot. Like we just can't go away. We can't. We don't have the freedom. So I consider this. It's just everything. It's vacation, socialization, work opportunities, education. It's just everything. In for, for me, one package. Uh, for me, it's uh, of course it is socializing and uh, once or twice per year a chance to meet uh, uh, and uh, chat to you guys from the US or Canada. But. Uh, it is a really, really expensive and long trip for us. Yeah. So we actually uh, should have some uh, feedback uh, and some uh, refund because otherwise, after a few years, we won't be able to come if we don't have uh, uh, enough good background. Right. You know? The sales to pick I mean, it up. Yeah. I mean, last year uh, it was a good year for us, and uh, we sell some originals and prints, and we covered our uh, costs and even earned some some money. <laughs> Makes us, but um, this year we'll still wait. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully it picks up. And we have yeah, and but we have free jet lag. Yeah, the U.S. artists have it a lot easier for this con. Well, especially when you guys can just pack your stuff up in the car, like yeah. no shipping oh, costs. It will be yeah. so easy. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. uh, uh, when we choose what uh, art uh, artwork to bring on, on the Oxcon, uh, 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 only art the fit case can go with us because we don't send crates. Uh, uh, we spoke about uh, earlier. Then, it was too expensive to send crates and boxes and pay for the shipping. So we just put it in the box. In the case and and take it with us. Yeah, carry the, uh, yeah. the and airplane. it's much easier to carry, you know, watercolors on and paper. Yeah. then that becomes a real a problem in, in terms of like, well, to make the biggest impact, you sort of have to have big paintings and you have to have a grand display. It seems and the framed paintings. Yeah, so it becomes nice a real frame. like give and take versus okay, is that cost? gonna pay itself back right you know like last year and mostly this year I'm bringing you know 12 by 16s that fit in carry-on luggage and at what point is that gonna be sort of uh, not a good investment like it, you know is shipping is 200 bucks shipping 400 bucks shipping is that gonna pay for itself um, I think because I'm doing it once a year it, it's you know even for just non-monetary gain but you know my my profile in the industry. I've decided it is worth it. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it, you just have to, on an individual basis, decide. Yeah, they really need to to even it out. They need to have a euro a Luxcon. Cost all the American artists to get over there. Yeah, just to experience it. Yeah, to see how it is. Like yeah. a biennial, <laughs> a biennial euro Luxcon. Not so, sure. But that would be cool. So, so you can so pack Genie, get on that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not euro. Maybe like Cayman Islands or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's all even. It's so, all even. It's yeah. place. We all show up with tiny little paintings in our luggage and yeah. basically go to the beach all day. You artists, what do you do? We drink cocktails. <laughs> we drink cocktails and paint small pictures. <laughs> so, here's a trend that I've heard talked about a little bit and I'm undecided, but do you guys think there's a bit of a, a nuclear war ramping up where people are going to start to outsize each other and go big, go bigger? 
go bigger than the next guy the next year and do you think do you think well I think Randy Gallegos had made a, a Facebook post yesterday yeah. basically this is turning into the Paris salon where you know <laughs> it, it's not just friendly competition anymore but it, it's almost becoming like Arm. uh, armed competition, armed competition. Yeah. <laughs> rivals because there's just so much art it's just okay so it's how do you stand art. out <laughs> yeah I think there's a part of that, but I don't mind it so much because I work larger anyways, uh, so I can't work too large because I don't have the studio space, But so I have a physical limit. Um, I don't I don't really mind it. I don't seem to mind seeing big work once a year. <laughs> I think it's great because it's sort of like that that under the layer of competition is really it's it's helpful to everybody if it brings up your level then yeah if you can't deal with that you know competition and stress you know maybe you shouldn't be doing this but if you if you deal with it you know it's just going to raise the industry and it's good for everybody and i don't think i don't think size has much to do with it. a lot of my favorite pieces for the show have been very small uh from peter Maselja and uh mark Zug. mark Zug, yeah you know they work they don't work on monumental scales and they're still some of my favorite yeah. pieces so i don't think size really has an impact on the quality right right it's just kind of a fun thing to see it's so impressive okay but do you, is there a little bit of pressure to work bigger do you think for me there is yeah um but i i really don't you know i'm still gonna do smaller pieces because they're fast and they're fun and people like to buy them um, but i'm wondering if if our perception is different than the public's perception like if a buyer uh, comes true. into the show is is the size affecting them that's true because uh, they can't yeah. disseminate and and uh, digest qualitative differences quite uh, as easy yes but the real collectors uh, they know the right value of uh, painting mm-hmm. uh, and they know that the size doesn't matter right uh, they know uh, what painting they would like to buy yeah. is, so I guess the public that are looking only at the size or would be impressed only by the size are not going to have the 10,000 yeah. or 12,000 to buy Donato anyways it's the serious collectors that are kind of looking at things on yeah. a more equal stage um, that are going to be making the purchases so I think it's great for the public because it draws the public in but it's, I don't think it's going to affect Serious art buyers. I'm I'm not sure if this is correct or not, but do you think that people have ratcheted their prices up a little bit this year? Um, not so much, but I think ratcheting up prices is is fine. I mean, yeah, no, I'm not saying it's it's not good. It's great. Yeah, I mean, as long as, as long as people are still willing to pay. Yeah, you know, as long as we don't price ourselves out of out of being brought at all and you know you guys think the prices are a little higher this year which is good it says it should be you mean all the prices no. in, in general in general yeah I, mean, I, I don't know I mean we're coming from completely different worlds yeah. so yeah. back in Croatia if I put $200 for a painting people would, would tell me are you crazy it's expensive <laughs> wow so yeah. if I put the price like 1500 here I'm like ooh what I'm doing what am I doing you know yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I've noticed. And if, if you put the two hundred dollars on painting here, people will also say you are crazy. Yeah, but in a different way. Yeah, <laughs> I brought my price tags uh, with the names and the titles of the paintings, and then a blank space underneath, uh-huh. so I could fill in the price mm-hmm. when I get here. Um, and I think a lot of other guys were doing that too. I, I do that. Like yeah. I see, I see generally people are pricing <laughs> yes. their stuff and then pricing accordingly. 
usually it's in a, within a range. Yeah. But I try yeah, uh, not to underprice my work, which is always the biggest. But we also uh, think about uh, the the other moment uh, when we put the prices. Okay, we have a lower living standard and everything, but if we uh, start to uh, lower our prices, then we actually lower the whole industry price. Yeah, no, because everybody will ask, okay, those guys are in the main show, so they good enough to be on the main show, in main show. But why, why they are uh, they are so cheap? Yeah, and uh, in, if we are so cheap. Then everybody else is going to be too expensive, you know. You know, I guess you're right because we're all saying we adjust. you're pricing based on what I put up, and I'm pricing based on what you put up. So if we all just sort of like, you know, have this understanding that we're not going to undercut or that we're going to keep a certain standard, then you know the buyer will be forced to that higher standard. Right. Yeah. And I think personally, the work is worth it. Like if I had disposable income, which I don't, I would be buying pieces too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I would buy, I would buy that five hundred dollar drawing you have for the troll yeah. holding the city. I would buy that uh, with the uh, pink. Uh, yeah, the mountains. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I agree because so, it's I don't know it's unusual uh, color choice. Yeah, yeah. But I really like it. Like, pink mountains. Uh, it has much atmosphere. I, I will put the quote uh, from Aaron uh, a few days ago. Uh, he said. Uh, when I asked him about the prices, he said, "Yeah, you, your price is good. You know why? If I, as an illustrator, can't afford, can afford it, then it's good price. Because <laughs> we just if you uh, can't yeah, afford we, it, we trade it. Price. We trade yeah. it, but uh, we don't buy from each other. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I always hope for a trade, but I can't. I can't afford it. Yeah. It, it, the the quote is is if you're an illustrator and you can afford it." Some, if somebody's painting is affordable to another illustrator, it's probably too low. Yeah. <laughs> I also didn't know what to do with the prices. I put some prices, and Peter came and said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> now, In Raul, take say, the pen. What are you doing? Put another price. What are you doing? <laughs> so I changed yeah. everything. <laughs> I think that price in that, pe- that drawing that I was talking about went from $100 uh, at the first LuxCon to 250 to 500 <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, Peter also told him about the balance inside his own uh, uh, boot, you know. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, a lot of big variations from the same artist, like Skelet, you know. And uh, he trying to explain him, if you put that price on that painting, you can't put the other price on that painting, because it doesn't fit. Right. You confuse the buyer. Yeah. That's yeah. true. But I put the price on that giant or the castle because secretly I don't want to sell it. Yeah. So right. I put yeah. the five price. So, ha- yeah. <laughs> so if someone buys it, it's like, okay. <laughs> that's, that's another thing that's interesting because you're not, it's not only pricing a product, you're pricing something that's really close to you. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's tough to make that decision because you can't make a purely analytical decision. It's something that's mm-hmm. emotional yeah. and something like that. Yeah. Because, because I've, I like my ink drawings better than my painting. Yeah. But I cannot sell the ink drawing as much as a painting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because I've only been painting for two years now, I'm at that point too where it's like. I don't really care if I sell that much because if I sell it, then I've got nothing. Yeah. You know, like I just don't have a backlog of stuff. Right. I would, 
I was really panicking about this illustration because have a, a lot of paintings that I cannot show. Are under on the eight. And I haven't painted anything for myself yeah. for last year and a half. Not one painting. And I was like, what am I going to show? Yeah. yeah. And I asked some companies, they said, well, okay, you can show this. So it was really, I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, I'm coming to the convention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it, it's very tough, especially if you work for wizards who the art yeah. for nine months. It, yeah. it doesn't always For a up. year. Or yeah. a year. It doesn't yeah. always stick always <laughs> up in one time. So sometimes. Because, because yeah. I just started to work on magic. Yeah. And I have few, I did few cards. Yeah. Cards. Paintings, cards. They said, no, 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 no. I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. I don't know how you want to match. People may think you're not working all year, but it's just you're yeah, yeah. all year. On That's the impression. Oh, so what you got from last year? No, well, two new. paintings and few <laughs> sketches, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's hard to balance. That's I mean, why it, it paid the bills, yeah. but on the other hand... And, and the other problem... My formats are smaller and smaller. <laughs> the, the last card is like this. Really? That's uh, nobody see it. I mean, you're talking so to a machine. You're talking about like a football. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. Six, six inches high or something. <laughs> smaller. Yeah. Okay, smaller. Philip, it's, it's a, po like, it's it's like a podcast. Nobody Philip can is see describing it. his... Uh, how many inches is this? I know in eight, centimeters. Eight inches. Yeah, six by eight. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So your last Something like postcard. Yeah, postcard. Because of the deadlines. And I remember when I started it, it was like, I don't know, 20, what was this size? Uh, it's maybe 30. 30, 30 inches, inches yeah. by, you know. 24. Yeah. Now it's tiny, yeah. tiny little. <laughs> Pretty yeah. in enthusiastic yeah. beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and you just cut down based on what time you have. <laughs> I, I always try to make uh, bigger paintings uh, than they used to be, uh, than they uh, should be published. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's different when you make uh, uh, card art illustration, but when you make a uh, cover yeah. for a book, then you uh, you know uh, in advance that it will be published bigger, a lot bigger than than the small card illustration. Right. That's why uh, I make uh, when I make covers, I make big paintings, and sometimes even the publisher the, uh, send that uh, as a, as a term to make bigger, yeah. at least twenty or thirty percent bigger. So, so uh, 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 yeah, for advertising. And the, the other reason, when they uh, uh, shrink. They will look better and more detailed than uh, they want the option. Absolutely. Yeah. And they want the option, but when I'm doing a painting, I kind of know if it's like got that potential or not. Like, I just finished one that was just like kind of a you know a routine card, a routine sort of like non-power thing. And I know it's like a very limited use thing, and they're demanding it to be you know like. 12 inches at 300 dpi and I'm not going to really follow that like, if they if they get 8 inches or 7 inches at 300 dpi there's more than enough pixel information there yeah. to like yeah. for all all their uses but yeah I mean you have to make that judgment call and they I've never once had a client you know say oh the terms of your contract says this must be, you know, 4,000 pixels wide, so... Because yeah. all I would do is, like, upsample it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put a sharpen filter on it, yeah. send it back, right? <laughs> but there's another thing. After all, it's uh, about uh, making illustrations for the product. So, um, 
it's also connected with these traditional versus digital media because most of art directors doesn't care how the original art look like they care about the product their commissioning yeah 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 they care about you know and that's it I just did this card that was sort of a non-power card um, I wasn't too happy with it because you know I don't to me it's not a portfolio piece it's not a format for expression but then I, I got the sense they were happy with it because it fulfills you know it's, it's slot in that game very well so it's like well I guess sometimes you, you gotta look at it from their lens from their vantage point yeah because yeah. if they don't have a, a good product they lose money and if they lose money they won't commission well, and, but they're not commissioning portfolio pieces from people they're commissioning things that have different uses yeah of course, of course. you know each, each card some cards they want it to be badass some cards they actually want it to not be badass yeah, and reproduction is a big, a big issue, and that's why at this convention I talked mostly about with other artists about photography of yeah. all things. I talked to yeah. Mike uh, a long time about it. I talked to Rob and talked to Chris Ron about it. I'm amazed. I came here, and the first day I was just like, "What medium do you use? How do you photograph your work? What do you varnish with?" And you know, we all need to get together and just like have like 50 of us in a room and get a best practices session going because everyone's doing something different and. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a huge variety of ways to work. So just because something is going to work for someone doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So yeah, you're yeah. And choosing yeah. which which things can help improve your own work. But like we've discussed, you don't want to experiment because every picture is on a deadline and yeah. it matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can only experiment on personal work, and I can rarely do personal work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do both. You do? Uh, yeah, uh, I I experiment a lot and. And uh, I do it a lot on the commissions, and that's also another another thing. Uh, when I make experiment on uh, the on the painting that uh, I need to uh, uh, that that's commission, I'm under bigger pressure, and uh, I have more uh, cautious, you know, because uh, I know if I fail. Uh, I would be dead uh, late for deadline, or I won't get paid. So I must succeed. Yeah, and uh, that—that's another reason. So you thrive under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap this up. I think we're going to head to the show in the next half an hour. So thanks, everyone. Ryan, why don't you say your name and website? Uh, Ryan Pankos. <laughs> Uh, www.ryanpankos.com and I'm going to have a, a baby soon so make as many purchases as you possibly can yeah. <laughs> so anybody listening to this podcast uh, hop in your time machine and come on down to Illuxcon that's correct Philip I'm Philip Burburan and I have a Facebook page oh. I, I don't have a page yet yeah um but but well, I'm working. So. I'm working on it. <laughs> Maybe by the time the That's podcast good. comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Milivoy. Hey. Uh, I'm Milivoy Cheran. Uh, my website is www.mseran-art.com, and I I have a 14 month old baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> and I'm Mike Sass, sassart.com, and I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
Hi, we're here at uh, ElixCon. It's Saturday. Uh, I'm here talking to uh, Bill Cox. Really interesting to run into Bill. I guess Bill is actually the the owner and originator of ComicArtFans.com. Uh, Bill, can you tell us just briefly what Comic Art Fans is? Well, Comic Art Fans is uh, the largest community online for original art collectors to share their collections with other uh, fans of original comic art. Uh, they can buy, sell, and trade through the website. Uh, over the last 10 years that the site's been online, we've had a lot of artists start to use the site to try to market their uh, artwork for sale as well. So it's kind of been a, a kind of a catch-all for people who collect comic art as far as just being able to do everything that you ever want. And a lot of artists use it for reference as far as looking for up old costumes and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a lot of things to a lot of people, which is great. And how many uh, members or users do you have? We've got over 100,000 registered members. There's probably around 15 or 18,000 actual galleries of artwork from the... Uh, you know. Fifteen or 18,000 original art collectors interested in showcasing their work, their own work. selling and buying. Yep. Right, exactly. So this is a big deal. Yep. Yeah, there's over 600,000 pieces of art on the site right now. And, uh, you know, probably I'd say 60% uh, is published artwork. Uh, 40% would be things like con sketches, commissions, or uh, uh, just general illustration work. Um, but there's a lot of strip art, animation art, uh, a lot of the art that we see here at Aluxcon, fantastic realism, a lot of gaming art. Um, I'm sure there's not many more sites online where you could go and search Magic the Gathering artwork or World of Warcraft, those sorts of things. You you know you'll find you won't find much more other than at the publishers' websites uh, online outside of Cap. And you're you're seeing an aggregate of stuff for sale from multiple sources like eBay private collections and you're seeing stuff owned not for sale that could be for sale if you just contact the member correct correct the biggest thing for us was uh i think that brought the collecting community together was when we started building art dealer sites and we were able to pool the inventory you know first you build two or three sites and then now instead of uh, you having to go out and search for art to buy at individual art dealer sites you just come to our site and then uh search all three dealers at one time and now we've got more than uh uh, two dozen dealers sites that we've built so you can search around 75,000 pieces of art just through art dealers at any given moment and we work really closely with Heritage and eBay to bring their inventories over onto our site as well so it really gets you know it's a great place to just optimize your time as a buyer or a collector and uh, do everything in one place I mean it's 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 amazing how it's worked out so uh, why are you here at Elixcon then well, I've been a, I've been a big fan of uh, gaming artwork for a long time. Uh, I really got interested in it back when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. Bill Willingham, Jeff D, uh, easily guys like that really got me interested in wanting to be an artist originally. Um, but then as a collector, you know, that honestly, it's been something that you know I've always been looking for certain pieces, and a lot of that early work you just can't find. Uh, and that's kind of the beauty of Cap when I built that site primarily because I knew that there was so, so much great artwork out there that just wasn't being seen. And not just the published work, it was when people were going around to conventions and getting artwork that, uh, uh, you know, commissions from artists at shows and that sort of thing. And those things you just never never could, could get it out of the woodwork. You know, it's out there, but you want And that's why Cap was, part of the reason for building Cap was to give people a venue to do that. Um, and instead of just being on somebody's wall in their private home, 
they're they're proud to have a gallery to showcase their collection and you know get oohs and ahs from their fellow collectors. Absolutely. I mean, it's a big part of the hobby. Everybody really likes to have great pieces of art, and they like to have people look at it. I mean, there's a lot of private collectors too, and uh, you know, I, comic art fans is a small. Uh, you know, in the percentage of original artwork that's out there, I'm sure it's probably only 10% of the you know the artwork, or even less, 5%. But the thing is, you know, with the people that like to uh, display and share their work with people, you, you know, you couldn't find a better place to do it. I mean, there's just certain pieces of art, especially on the commission side of things, work that you know you would never see, uh, in commissions of San Julian or Enric that you know that private collectors are, are commissioning them for. That fortunately for us, you know, a lot of people like to share those pieces with people and I think it's it's fantastic. And so uh, what are your interests or plans for uh, gaming and fantasy art that you were talking about? The uh, What we're planning on doing and we've already launched kind of a beta site through um, uh, the domain infectedbyart.com is a site for um, for one for artists to have gallery space on there uh, goes through kind of a jury process which I'm the sole juror at the moment where we kind of you have to submit a request submit some artwork at the same time and then we'll we'll approve you to be a part of it um, part of what we also are doing which was sort of where it got started was just the idea of being able to have I wanted to build a platform that allowed us to host online jury uh, expositions or challenges, competitions, whatever you want to call them. Something that would engage uh, creators to give them a theme, potentially have so, have a something that we can maybe work with a publisher where maybe the end result is the piece that gets chosen gets into uh, you know something published, whether it's a print or a book, the cover of something, and try to work those types of things into the site such that um, uh, a, it gives everybody a lot of exposure just by trying it. A lot of competitions or a lot of jury things, you'll submit your artwork as an artist to the to the to the jury, and it's never seen. You know, it's never seen again. You never even know if it gets you know that it doesn't get in. You don't get a rejection letter. Our site was built around the idea that anything that gets submitted to any competition that we create will be seen. You know, forever, so that you'll always have that long-term value as somebody who wants to participate in these. That your work will be seen, even if it doesn't maybe make it into a book that we're, we're working on, uh, or you know, or just a simple competition that we have that we're doing for fun. That maybe the end result is just a, like a free submission into something that we're doing later. Um, you know, I want to make sure that the artwork is always seen because if you feel proud enough to put it out there, it should be you know, it should be out there for. Uh, for as long as my site's online, and you be, you getting the value of having your work on a site that is a hub for this kind of yeah you know, for fantastic realism, and you, you know when they're showing your artwork, it's linking back to your site. It's giving you a lot of side benefit as well to have it there, and you should get that. You know if you're going to take the time to put your work out there, it should be seen forever. So. Can you uh, comment on, say, the comic art collection community and, and your current, um, and what comic art fans currently is, and what you see here as a difference in the illustration community, and uh, how any gap you see will be bridged, or, or what the differences are right now? Uh, well, one of the biggest things that's happened in the last ten years, you know, that I've been running comic art fans is just that. Uh, 
The idea that you can collect original comic art has really got pushed out to the masses. When you have a few large purchases, like uh, something, you know, Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight work that sells for $450,000, those kinds of things make news. People realize, wow, it's something I can collect. And, you know, you, you owe that to venues like Heritage and a few other uh, online auction houses like Comic Link and whatnot to, that help bring those pieces out and help them realize high prices. And what that does is it just... It, it, you know, it gets the word out through so many different channels. You know, we, now all of a sudden you have Variety writing an article about comic art that sold for that kind of price, and then that's now brought in another 60,000 readers that find out, I can actually collect comic artwork. And so over the last 10 years, you've seen that happen. At least every three or four months, there's a big sale that makes news. And when that happens, you just bring in a whole new batch of collectors. And, um, and you already have the fans of certain characters and those sorts of things and certain titles and certain artists but you know with the success of the movies and you know the comic book related movies of late it's just really broadened the audience for that medium and what I see us attempt you know what I'd like to be able to do with the new site is do the same thing for that hobby is just find a way to bring the, this artwork out to, to people to make them understand that they can buy it to make them understand that yeah, there's a great portion of the work that's digital, and maybe you can't own something other than a print. You, but a lot of it is, you know, original artwork that's incredibly beautiful and and can be purchased. And I, I think that that's probably something that they don't understand or they don't realize unless you go to something like a LuxCon or a GenCon or get out to Spectrum. You know, some, you know, those those shows unfortunately are few and far between. You know, the comics industry has that leverage of where you have the Wizard World shows, and, and they really have, you know, there's just so many comic conventions out there. Not enough sci-fi, uh, not enough uh, gaming, um, and, and again, I think that's where a site like what I want to build will help give us an online presence. It opens it globally. So the idea that you can really, as an artist, have a, have a seat at the table on a site that you know is available and accessible to anyone you know in the world. I mean, for me on Comic Art Fans, for instance, uh, more than half of our traffic is non-United States traffic. You know, it's really a global site, and that's what I think what will happen once you have a site that brings together a lot of uh, the artwork we see here today. You'll, you'll find we'll find that it really opens it up to a wider audience, and, and that's just one way to grow the market of the, of the ability or the people who will want to purchase the artwork. Because get is just getting people in places that you know can't travel to this show to realize they can buy this. So. You know, it's it's all baby steps. You know, I think uh, even on, on the comic art site, it took six you know it was six years ago before it really started to pick up and people were, you know really got 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 into, into things and and around that time when the prices just started to really skyrocket and make you know where I even can't afford the art that I, I like to buy when I first started collecting and uh, so you know I think that uh, you have to start somewhere and somebody has to has to take the opportunity you know take the reins take the chance go out there and just make it happen and um, I'm really excited to do it because it's something that, uh, that I'm really passionate about um, you know I just love I love the medium I love the, love the work that's produced here and uh, and I don't game as much as I used to so I come to this show and I see work from uh, Pathfinder and World of Warcraft and things I don't play today but I see the artwork in it and it's just you know I wish I could own it all and I think that if other people had the opportunity to see this artwork too they did realize how beautiful it was and even just walking away with one piece from a show you know it, it benefits the artist it, you know it, the, the collector's enriched he's going to take it out there he's going to show it on comic art fans or he's going to show it on his own personal blog 
and that just helps you know spread the word that things can be collected. So um, yeah, so I'm really excited about the opportunities that I think we're going to be able to do uh, for everyone, for all the creators in this hobby. Well, thanks, Bill. I, I think speaking as an artist on the other side, this is what you're describing is like literally exactly the void that exists right now and, and what's missing and really when you come to Ilexcon there's like thousands of pieces of art and you know what's what's missing is just the collectors and the respect and, and the profile and the things that you know we need somebody like you you know who's who's a matchmaker who mm-hmm. has the technology tools and who has the experience through comicart.com comicartfans.com yep so this conversation we've had and in, in the, the, the conversation we had half an hour ago is just amazing. It's exactly what the field needs, and I'm personally like uh, giddy with excitement about about what you're discussing. So, uh, if anybody doesn't uh, know what ComicArtFans.com is, or it's it's totally legit. It's the biggest site on the internet for buying and selling fantastic art and comic art. So, uh, check it out, and you will get excited too. This is an amazing development. So, thanks a lot, Bill. Thanks, Mike. I do appreciate it.